I'm able to purchase a product which represents me impacting and benefiting someone else as opposed to just myself so yeah from the beginning our whole mindset is to flip a an industry which has often been seen as self-indulgent and show how you can actually be selfless in the midst of that. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Kat and Chris. Welcome to 2020 guys. Thank you very much. How was your Christmas? Amazing. It yeah. was good. It was like, I was ill for a bit of it, which nice. was like a weird, like, forced you're going to rest now. Yeah. But it was like, I want to do stuff, but my body was just like, sleep. Oh, that's <laughs> nice though. I just ate. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> no, I, I, I just ate and basically slept. So basically did, <laughs> did most the same of what thing. you did <laughs> with, I think, more food though. Yeah. <laughs> I totally love Christmas and love the whole thing, but this, I also really like putting all the Christmas decorations away and then just being <laughs> being on the, at home in peace and quiet. Like, I love family, I love Christmas, but there's something about that as well. When do your decorations go down? Oh, um, just one minute past midnight on the 26th of December. <laughs> no, it's usually, you have to wait till the new year. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. we waited. I think, actually, we did it on um, uh, 2nd of Jan. Okay. Ooh, it's pretty keen yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. Are yours guys down or? Mine were down okay, on the second as well, I think. Oh, really? I really had a tree to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I only had a tree, so I put it, I think I took it down like soon after New Year's. Yeah. And what's the unacceptable date, do you think? If, now. If, if, so, so, <laughs> if anyone listening to this currently has yeah, Christmas decorations, for sure that's your take problem. them down. That is too much. And I miss Christmas as well, so yeah. you should definitely take that down. Yeah. <laughs> You're the uh, authoritative voice yeah. on Christmas decoration. I think so. <laughs> cool. So on this episode, we'll be hearing from William Adoasi, who's the founder of Vitae London, uh, which is a watch brand that changes lives. So William spoke to Chris about the story behind creating the company and all he's learned about ethical entrepreneurship. But before we get to the interview, it's time for What in the World? Welcome to What in the World, where we discuss some of the big talking points from recent news stories. And obviously, a couple of weeks into 2020, we're still now reflecting on 2019. I feel like we can still reflect, even though we're halfway through January. Mm-hmm. So we thought it'd be a good idea just to share some things that we saw in 2019, or listened to, or read, um, series, books, podcasts, that inspired us in, in some way, just to share with you, in case you missed them, you might want to see them as well. And so, guys, putting you on the spot a little bit, but Chris, what was your... Um, thing to watch, listen to, or read in 2019. Do you know what? It's funny because before we got to this, I was proper struggling to think of anything. <laughs> and then I just had a light bulb moment of one of the best things I saw last year. Love Island. One of the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love... No, I don't. Um, no, I went to... So I was in Amsterdam in October uh, for like a few days. And one of the things I did when I was out there, I went to watch like a... Ballet theatre production Ooh. thing. I was not print. expecting Mr. Culture us to right go to a ballet. I don't worry, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I had no clue really what it was like going to be like. It was called Europa, which is uh, smashing together as obviously like Europa, the the thing, and Yoruba, which is like a is a tribe from Nigeria. Okay. Um, so 
yeah, so it was called that. I didn't really know what to expect. Got there and I was like, oh, I was a bit smaller than I thought. And then it started and it was like mad intense. You ever been to like the theatre where like the actors are like staring you point blank in your <laughs> eyes? You're like, oh my gosh. But um, the whole thing was kind of about, it was about refugees and uh, what a refugee cool. journey is like. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was just three actors, very minimalist set. Um, but it was so powerful. Like I remember literally no. just watching it like, wow, like, it's a lot. Like we obviously mm. you just watch the news and you hear the you see like you see the newspaper article headlines and stuff like that. Um and we're quite disconnected from actually what it is what that journey is like to li- literally have to leave your country. And yeah, it was very hard hitting and made me very like feel very like humbled uh, at the kind of like the postcode lottery that I won. Um and also really just really made me just kind of think there was a point where it was like he, the director was speaking afterwards and he said, you know, if you spoke to people in like Syria, like a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, would they have ever expected this to, to be their reality? No. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a very much thing of like, don't take what you've got for granted. Mm. And obviously when it comes to the discourse of it, like do as much as possible to, to speak the positive side of it and to make sure you're seeing people as people and not just this blanket refugee time. Mm, that's cool. That's so much more cultured than... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I saw this really good opera, actually. <laughs> no, so I, I read a... Um, so my New Year's resolution last year was to read a book a month. Didn't quite make it, but I read 10, which is a real improvement for me, which that's is nine good. more than I usually read in a movie. more than I... <laughs> yeah, so I am very well-read and cultured too. Um, but just a, a kind of... Two, two that stood out. Um, one was Garden City by John Mark Comer. Um, and it's a book all about how God calls us to work and have mm. a healthy relationship with work. And so looking at, at Genesis, where man is literally made to work the ground, yeah. um, and then looking through what that means for us as humans to have a calling to the mm. workplace. Um, and it's, it's really interesting because you you kind of, stumble through the nine to five sometimes and it becomes part of your reality and you just do it Mm. this book was really interesting just to reframe some of that and saying whatever it is like literally any job that you're doing you've been put here on earth by god to do so that was a a really good one would recommend that to to people and then the other one i read was a book called digital minimalism by cal newport which looks at i mean the title is quite self-explanatory but looks at how technology and particularly the internet influences our decisions and the Mm. way that we think and the way that we live um, and so uh, there's a lot of kind of advice um, and tips in there for for um, stripping some of that technology back from your life. But the, the general idea, rather than just completely cut everything out forever, it's about making sure we're conscious who has the power. And a lot of the power is held by these big technology companies who mm. decide what we see and what we yeah. hear and all that kind of thing. Um, and just making sure that we're thinking through, OK, how what are we consuming here and and why are we consuming it and who's... Yeah. Uh, telling us what to to do and to think so those two are really good books particularly at the start of new year i think when you're kind of just looking ahead to the 12 months and what you do at work and mm. how you live your life um so would recommend those cat yes um those are really they, those are both very interesting <laughs> um for me i've been listening to quite a few um different podcasts including this one um <laughs> actually we missed a trick there chris we should have said this yeah, it's so yeah. True. <laughs> um 
Uh, so one of the one of the podcasts that I've I loved and I've been enjoying a lot is called um, Convos with Kathy and is done by our um, pastor in our church and I go to Hillsong. And she just talks to normal people in our church. Sometimes she gets guest um, speakers and they're really like inspiring. But I think I just really enjoy the fact that it's like just normal people and um, they do the same kind of thing as we do. So it's easy to relate to them. But also it's how they pursue um, God's purpose in whatever they're doing. Um, however, one that really stood out to me was one with um, Chad Veacher that she did when um, he was around in London. And he was talking all about healing and he has a daughter who is actually like very sick and I think when she was born they, the doctor basically said she'll uh, she probably won't live very long and she'll never be able to speak um so she, yeah it's pretty pretty rough <laughs> to be honest and so like they had to go through this whole massive journey of like praying for her and and he just said you know I believe for healing for her and I pray for her every day she's now seven years old she still can't speak but you know the way he speaks about her is like she she communicates with us in so many different ways and then he said this one thing that really stuck to me and he's like I pray for her every day and I know that God is going to heal her but I don't know when and that's God's timing and it could be on earth or it could be in heaven. And I was like, whoa, like that's so incredible. Because I often think, oh, if we're praying for something, then we ex- we're going to see it now, you know, we're not going to. Mm. But actually, if we get, you know, discouraged about healing because someone maybe didn't survive, that doesn't mean they're not healed. They are healed and they are in heaven and they are mm. with, with Jesus. So, yeah, I thought that was like really incredible. That sounds really interesting. And we'll, we'll put all of our suggestions in the show notes uh, just so you can have a little look through and uh, check those out as well. But for now, let's tune into Chris's conversation with William as they talk all things business. Hey, so my name is William Adwesi. I'm 29 years old. I'm the founder of a watch brand called Vitae London. Um, Vitae's Latin for life and our whole mantra is to be the fashion brand changing life. So with each watch we sell, we help support a child for education across sub-Saharan Africa. Amazing. Awesome. That was like PR press. <laughs> like, I've got it down now. There's no, there's no ifs or buts about it. Um, so how did you land on that name? Obviously, like you said, uh, the tagline, you know, a fashion brand that changes lives. Yeah. Why is that so important to you? Yeah, so um, I guess for me, I was working a job in the city I was making really good money, but it got to a point where money alone just wasn't doing it for me. Mm. Um, I had to live for a bigger purpose. I had to live for for more than just earning money. Um, And kind of the idea for the business stemmed from my father's story. So my dad grew up in a remote village in Ghana and was the first in my family line to learn to read Mm -hmm. and write. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this broke like a cycle of poverty that was affecting us for generations. Um, So kind of inspired by his story, frustrated with my workplace, always loving watches. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of combined all of these areas. So as I said, yeah, Vitae means life. So I just wanted to ensure that everything we did, everything we built was around changing lives, impacting lives. Mm. So yeah, when we sell a watch, we either provide a full set of school uniform for a child or we provide a solar light, meaning that they don't have to travel for hours or or burn harmful fuels in order to study in the evenings. Yeah, awesome. There's a lot in that. So, I mean, I want to talk a bit more about the watches For first. Sure. Um, you said you always like watches, mm. but I mean, I like a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about watches that made you really go, this is it, this is what I want to do? Um, I guess 
What's funny is um, Vitae London was initially going to be a clothing brand. Okay. So I I designed a whole range of T-shirts. We were Mm. ready to go. And then I stood back and I realized that it just didn't inspire me that much, let alone Mm. how could I push it to inspire others. Mm. Um, So I wanted to go into a niche area that I hadn't seen done as often. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I wanted to do something that I was genuinely really passionate about. Mm. So, yeah, I've always loved watches. Um, I guess at first the the fear was it's a market that I could potentially not enter. It's mm. higher barriers, but that inspired me to want to do it more. So mm. that it's a more compelling story to tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's why watches. Awesome. And like you said, so you're supporting children through mm. education mm. in South Africa. Mm. And then you were linked up with House of Wales, right? A yeah. Nonprofit organization. How did that come about? Yeah, so in so we're linked up with two charities at the moment. So one called House of Wales, one called Pen to Paper Ghana as well. Um, and those were just, they were literally relation, relationship-based. Mm. So with House of Wales, it was, start, it was set up by two pastors from the UK who just felt God was saying that they should travel to the other side of the world mm. and start this vision. Like their story is wild. And um, the children, so one of the children of the pastors is the same age as my wife. Okay. They grew up together. Um, and they went on one of the first ever trips out there okay, just yeah. to see what they were doing. And kind of inspired by that first ever trip, we were sending money every single month to support children mm. um, in partnership with them. And then, yeah, just with my entrepreneurial mind, I was just looking at how we can scale our impact mm-hmm. um, and doing it through social enterprise, through business, seemed to be the most logical way. Yeah, and that's kind of something that's been a part of your narrative and your journey throughout your life right mm. um you started like a sports academy yep, thing yeah when you were at you did your research i love a it bit of research <laughs> what is it about kind of this that, that entrepreneurial mindset like where like you said you know like you took a bit of inspiration from your dad as well mm-hmm. but what is it that like kicked in inside of you and said the normal nine to five life isn't for me I'm not even sure. I, sometimes I wish I could just work a nine to five <laughs> genuinely like I wish I could finish work Five or six, clock out totally, go home, watch Netflix. That would be the dream. But mm. I don't know. There's just something in me that just can't do that. I think, mm. I think, I was just made to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. As cheesy as that sounds, um, I itch with new ideas. I've done this. I did this like um, strength finder test recently, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and the biggest things that came up for me were strategy and vision. Mm. So like, that's just what I enjoy the most. That's what energizes yeah. me. So yeah, that's why I'm an entrepreneur. Interesting. And like what it's difficult to define it, right? Because you know, even, you know, before I was here, I worked as a youth worker for five years and I'd go into classrooms and ask like a group of like twenty twenty young people, what do you want to do when you're older? And people would say, entrepreneur I'd be like, Okay, so what do you what does that mean? What do you want to do? And they're like mm. Entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. So, so for people who might may, might have like an itch or feeling like, I think this is something that I'm interested mm. in or want to do, could you explain a bit more what is the reality of being an entrepreneur? So yeah, the reality of it is so far from sticking entrepreneur or founder in your bio. Mm. Instagram, <laughs> um, it's, I'm working the hardest I've ever worked in my life and mm. I've worked some tough jobs. I Used to work in the city where I would clock in at 7.30, leave 7, 8 p.m. minimum most evenings. Mm. Um, but this is, it It takes everything. You're birthing something new. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the realities of it are very long hours, are moments of uncertainty, moments of realizing that you decide what happens next. No, yeah. There's no boss telling you 
where you can take things. So it's been a lot of lot of kind of self-discovery, mm-hmm. understanding my strengths and actually fully understanding my weaknesses mm. so I can get the right people around me to help build and grow this. So it's it's been really, really tough, but I always describe it as a beautiful struggle. Yeah. And because as I'm working these long hours, I'm working at doing something I enjoy more than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and if, if anyone listening feels they're cool to be an entrepreneur and feels they're super passionate about a particular area... I always just say, give it a go. Like, mm. why not? Um, mm. What's the worst that can happen? Um, even for me, we I quit my full-time job, mm. invested our house savings into starting Vite. That's pretty like... Yeah, it's that's wild. That's a big decision. It's wild. <laughs> but at the time, I was just like, worst case scenario, I get another job and I save money up again. Like, mm-hmm. yes, my life may have been delayed a bit, but at least I would have lived knowing that I gave it a go. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And you say delayed, but you're only 29. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things, right? I think society has quite like a built up picture of what growing up looks like. Mm. It's school, college, uni, get a job. And like you said, especially like if you live in a big city, it's like get a job in the city. For um, sure. And then that's it, really. Yeah. And you keep moving. But what was it that was just like, obviously, there's the entrepreneurial side of you, but. Was there another element of almost like your? How did your faith like inter- interact in that? Did you feel like something wasn't sitting right with you, or was it that you yeah. literally just had to get out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, working in the city, um, there's a term that's used for sales professionals in the city. They're known as wide boys. Mm. Um, so they're people that would literally do anything to get a sale over the line. Mm. Um. And I was surrounded by that day in, day out. Mm. I kept my integrity. I ensured I did the right things, but constantly seeing people excel by doing maybe some dodgy things, by mm. by not even favouring... Because I worked in recruitment, so often they didn't even favour the candidates they were recruiting yeah. for. Um, they would do whatever it took for them to earn a bit more money. Mm. And I just yeah, I couldn't live in that environment anymore. I needed yeah. to... Be an environment where I could control the narrative, where mm. I could be building God's kingdom, even if it didn't look like building a church. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. So. Sure. And how did you then taking the leap into Vite and like you said, giving away house like savings and stuff like mm. that? How did you manage to and still manage to like hold on to your integrity? Because you always saw like the perfect template of like, okay, <laughs> this is how I can squeeze as much money out of whatever. Mm. Maybe you could have easily like kind of brought that into your own your own business, mm. and, and not even necessarily in a selfish way, in like a survival way. So, how did you like manage to keep that keep that pressure, that temptation away? I guess for me, I just like I really believe in sowing and reaping more than anything mm. on this planet. Like I, even when I was about to leave my recruitment job. The last few months, I still made sure I worked hard because in my head, I was thinking one day I'm going to hire people. So if I'm if I'm if I'm working slack in this job, I'm going to hire someone that will one day work slack. Mm. That, that's just how I think in terms of sowing and reaping. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, just in relation to that, I just knew that if I could just keep the right disciplines from the very beginning of the business, even when I lacked money, if I could just hold on to my integrity, mm. I would reap the rewards of it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like God's just been so faithful in that. He's mm. opened doors that I don't deserve. He's connected me with people I would have never even imagined being connected yeah. with. I mean, I believe that's just him saying that, yeah, you were faithful with small, so yeah, you, you can have a bit more now. What's one of those moments, one of those big moments of just like, it's got to be God? Like whether... 
it was like a moment where you were struggling, but somehow you got through or a moment where you had this connection that was just like mind blowing. It happens all the time, literally like every single month. That's why I feel like I'm in my grace zone. I feel like I'm where I'm meant to be because it's constantly happening. Like mm. I could give an account every month for something that's happened where it just doesn't make sense. Mm. Like, even like a few months ago before, because recently we raised some capital, but before that, um, uh, we, like I wasn't even sure how I was going to make payroll for my team that month. Mm. And then I did one that's radio big interview. Big responsibility. <laughs> and I did one radio interview and we brought in like within an hour, like we brought in enough money to cover my whole team, mm. etc. So it's just moments like that and days like that. I'm just like, okay, God, I see what you're up to. I see yeah. what you're doing. Um, connections made like, so I've had the privilege of being mentored by Richard Branson mm. and we've seen on watches on the likes of Ava DuVernay, um, uh, Michelle Williams, Pharrell Williams, mm. um, Martin Smith, Tim Hughes. Like mm. These are people that I've admired pretty much my whole life. And mm -hmm. it's just surreal that with a lot of them, they're just like a text message away now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just, I don't know, just God doing what only he could do because yeah. I definitely could I'm just going to interrupt you guys for a moment to share some exciting news. So on February 21st and 22nd, we are TIFF and are heading to Justice Conference in London. So we'll have two days of worship, creativity and discussion led by some of the biggest thought leaders of faith and justice. As a member of the We Are TIFF and community, you'll get a special discounted ticket with exclusive entry to a free lunch with some of the speakers and some other special guests. For more information or to book your place, head to www.wearetiffon.org forward slash gathering. So that's www.wearetiffon.org org forward slash gatherings I want to return back to you know the the work that you're doing in South Africa and in Ghana um, education is obviously a huge thing uh, around the world that is not people don't have access to like we do what was it specifically about education because you could have like helped in any way yeah. but what is it about education that really resonates with you I feel like, yeah, education just has the power to break um, generational poverty. Mm. Um, it has the power to end it there and equip and empower people as opposed to just giving out handouts. Mm. Um, I think in the midst of a disaster, etc., I think it is important that we supply, like, supply the needs of people yeah. on the ground at the time what they need. But the beauty of education is that, yeah, I believe it. Same with what happened with my dad. It empowered him to break that cycle of poverty, mm. which then affect now has affected me. I'm yeah. one of seven children. Um, we're all doing um, pretty well by God's grace. Um, a few of us have kids already. So it's like generationally, things are just only improving. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, if someone had just given, given my father maybe some food or given him something else... It, it wouldn't have broken that cycle of poverty like education yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. We had Governor B on the podcast quite a while ago now, mm -hmm. uh, but he was saying a similar thing. He went to see some of the work Tearfun was doing and um, he was just like a bit kind of an equal frustration of why can't we just do this to help? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but also that other, like what you were saying is very much kind of need to empower and equip people to do it for themselves. For sure. for uh, have, sure. Has that been something that you found in your own life? Of course, you talked about your dad, but you specifically, whether whether it be in your education, like growing up or outside of that? Yeah, I guess 
even for me, so my story was funny. So I grew up in like South London, um, Peckham and Camberwell. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's not those those places were not like they were now. <laughs> oh my goodness! I just don't like going on that bus. Yeah, that one nine seven bus. I was yeah. like, Ooh. <laughs> anything could happen. Um, so yeah, growing up was tough, man. Um, and then when I was eleven, through my dad just like persistently being on my case, I ended up securing a scholarship to a prestigious boarding school mm-hmm. um, in the Midlands. So I spent five years up there, mm-hmm. and to me, that was the biggest eye opener of my life. Yeah. Um, just seeing, like, I'd never seen wealth like that. I'd never seen people live the lives they live. Mm. And that opened up my mindset to thinking about, so, like, one of our mantras as a brand is to live without limits. Mm-hmm. And I honestly feel like those seasons really showed me that the limitations or the area that I may have grown up in is not the be-all and end-all. Yes. Um, and it pushed me to want to equip myself to take things to the next level and not look for handouts and mm. not look, not ever have a victim mentality because sure. even a lot of people I went to boarding school with, their parents were the first in their in their generation to see wealth or yeah. second in the generation. So they showed me that it was possible. Yeah. For sure. No, for sure. And it's really interesting. Uh, it's quite like an aspirational brand, right? It's mm. watches are something that, you know, people spend like m- money on for like a gift or mm. whatever it is. Um, and that's it's interesting to have something that's like quite like you could argue almost like middle class it like <laughs> aimed at a middle class sort of clientele, uh, middle and upper, mm. but is helping like people who are who are struggling. Was that something like you were really hundred percent? Yeah, I, my dream was to flip an industry on its head. Mm. So the watch industry rakes in over forty six billion a year. Wow, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, I did not it's know that. crazy. It's <laughs> That's a, ridiculous. And even in the midst of the recession, it was still growing. Wow. Um. So it just shows you the massive market potential. And most times, when someone owns a watch or buys a watch. It's a statement piece to say, hey, look how much wealth I've been able to mm. acquire for myself. Um, so I wanted to disrupt this industry that typically says that and say, hey, look how I'm able to purchase a product which represents me impacting and benefiting someone else as mm. opposed to just myself. So, yeah, from the beginning, our whole mindset is to flip a an industry which has often been seen as self-indulgent mm. and show how you can actually be selfless in the midst of that. That's incredible. And really interesting because I don't know, I don't know about you, but when we talk about, you know, ethical living, sustainable living, I often think there's a lot of pressure put on individuals mm. to, to cut, cut this back or to stop doing that or to buy more of this. And I think those things are all great. And I and I think those things are almost like an act of worship and yeah. kind of like, this is the world I want to see. Sure. And so this is the actions that I'm going to do to feed into that. But there's also with that, that at times, not always, but at times there's like a lack of looking at what's happening above us mm. um, and the structures and the systems in place that uh, are kind of like reinforcing reinfor- poverty and reinforcing, sure. you know, an unsustainable planet. For sure. um, with, the, with Vitae, is there like a almost like a a, a a catch-all kind of trick of like this is where the money is so i'm gonna i'm gonna get their money yeah and sling it back into the right e, places that's literally what that's literally been my mindset mm. um all this money is being generated year in year out so why not attribute a portion of that to making an impact mm. and the best way i saw myself being able to do that was starting this brand and starting mm. this business so yeah like that's what we're so passionate about it's about just the redistribution of finances. Yeah. Um, 
So money that we could have just all stored for ourselves as a brand, we're just taking a cut of it and saying, mm-hmm. hey, look at the impact we can make. And hopefully we inspire other brands to do the same and follow suit. Yeah. Um, some people could say that's crazy because then you miss out on what could make yourself unique. Mm. But I'd prefer if more and more brands actually took this on because yeah. therefore it means we are, yeah, we're making more of an impact with our profits and yeah. life's not just about acquiring for ourselves. Yeah, it's really interesting you talking about the redistribution of wealth. Mm. You know, we live in a world where there's a lot of inequality, yeah. like particularly like people living in extreme poverty. Um, and then we live in a country where there's inequality as well. And I don't want to get too political. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be bringing up different parties or whatever. But yeah. uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently. You know, we're recording this in December. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of conversation recently about you know the super rich and uh, what their what their responsibility should be to people who are who are not doing that as well. Mm. How do you fit into that? You know, you talked about you know uh, meeting people like Richard Branson. Um, who have, who at times has had those sorts of uh, Criticism. criticisms yeah. like put against them? What's your response to that? Yeah, it's for me. It's a tough one. Um, I wanna I wanna live in a society where the poorest of our community have a support system where they can bounce back from. Mm. Um, I look back at even my upbringing and even the council house that I grew up in. And if we didn't have those measures in place, I wonder like where where I would be today. Mm. Um, so I often don't like to point the finger at the super rich because mm-hmm. I think to myself, there's still more for me to do. Mm-hmm. So who am I to then tell someone else what to do with mm-hmm. their wealth? So as much as possible, I just try to be an example with my income and my mm. wealth and, and hopefully just try and disrupt the market more and more so that even those higher up with more money um, can understand what they can do with their wealth, yeah, yeah. Um, and how even someone from, in essence, nothing from council flat has been able to make all this impact. Mm. What what more could someone that's come from wealth do? Yeah, so, yeah, that's what I try and do. Definitely, and I think that's a really challenging thing to say. Mm. Like, I think that's challenging for myself mm. to be like, you know, I'm not ne- I'm not necessarily where I, where I I want to arrive, mm. um, but I have to act like I am yeah in a sense of no it's like the parable of the talents you know how are you kind of envisioning your like you said you talked a bit about you know disruption and and trying to you know across the industry influence that where do you see that kind of heading in the next five ten years um I I think if you look at even millennial buying trends and gen z as well I think what you notice and see is that we're a lot more aware Mm. You can't you can't just do a blanket marketing campaign like you could in the past and mm. and influence and persuade. I think there's a lot more awareness. Mm. So I think there's just going to be a, a a grown evolution of more and more brands that stand for something. Mm. Um, where there's a narrative, where there's a story, where mm. there's an impact. Otherwise, you just won't be able to survive in the market. Yeah, and brands of old doing things of old won't work in the market of tomorrow. Mm. So. I believe more and more people are going to catch along to this trend, yeah. are going to see actually what can we do for the planet, what can we do for one another, mm. as opposed to the old system of capitalism, which was how much can I destroy the planet, how mm. much can I um, undercut the next person in order for my for my rising. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that's, that's going to work in the future. Right, for sure. That's really exciting. Mm. I think... Um, 
the idea of like a, a, a system change. And, mm. I, and I agree, I see it with the younger generation mm. that actually we are a generation that it's, it has to be all or nothing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and even in, the, even in the work that you do, how do you find that process? Because I'm sure like production-wise, like you talked about payroll earlier, having all of these things like under your kind of responsibility and doing them in a way that is like the most ethical, the most fair you possibly mm. can. How difficult or how easy do you find that? Um, it It's difficult at times from a business perspective, mm. but I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly improving. I wouldn't say we're fully where we want to be, mm. um, but we're, we're getting closer every single day. So yeah, I... I don't find it difficult. I actually think it also makes business sense. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't realise the actual business value it adds. There's no way I would have got Pharrell Williams, Richard Branson, Ava DuVernay. There's no mm. way I would have got them wearing my watches mm. if we weren't making a positive impact. So as much as people say, oh, don't do that, it can affect your profits. To me, I would say it's probably increased my profits. Yeah. It's probably enabled me to to sell watches further and wider. Mm. and therefore impact more lives. Like, there's a beautiful, like, righteous cycle with it all. Mm. So, yeah, I don't I don't really see the negative in it too much. I yeah. see sometimes it can inconvenience us as a brand, whereas other brands don't have to do it. But it's what we stand for, so yeah. I'm happy to be inconvenienced. For sure. And I see that as, like, core of what you do mm. and genuine to what you do. Mm. But what would you say at the pe- to the people who kind of levy the criticism that, all this like sustainability, ethical living—it's almost just become the new, the new sales pitch. It's a mm. new fad. What do you say? What was what would be your reaction to those people? Um, it's tough because you never know who's doing it for genuine reasons. Mm. You never know who has a real heart for what for why they're doing what they're doing. I guess often we can only really see things as at face value, um, and support what we can. And yeah, you can test and try people's hearts, but it's. It's tricky to be able to ascertain who's legit and who isn't. Yeah. Um, but I think over time, the real ones always, they stay around. Mm. You see it in their messaging constantly. You see it. You see the fruit of what they're trying to do yeah. as opposed to someone who may just quickly try and tag it onto something. Yeah. Um. So I think that's why a lot of our customers resonate with us. Yeah. Because they see from their very get-go, it's being core to us yeah and they see us constantly going out and visiting the children mm. they get to hear the the positive reports as well yeah awesome well i like some of those stories is there anything that you want to share about some of the children that you're helping yeah i mean one story i always tell that always kind of st- sticks out to me is a young girl called lile so she grew up well she still does she lives in port elizabeth in South Africa, um, and for, unfortunately, her parents passed away, mm. and then a lot of her cousins' parents passed away as well. So she lost a lot of her uncles and aunties to HIV. Mm. So um, when I went to meet her the first time, there were fourteen of them living in a like a tiny shack mm. with their with the grandparents of the children, and because it, because of the poverty, education was made free for them on their local doorstep. Okay. But for something as minute as school uniform, they weren't able to go to school. Mm. Um, they weren't able to, to go and get an education and study. So us stepping in, providing that school uniform, and then I guess for me six months later going back and visiting her, mm. seeing her thriving in school, like dancing and singing in school day mm. in, day out, ha- always like has been a memory kind of just burned into my brain yeah, that yeah. I can, yeah, I'll never, never escape and just... 
it gives me that drive to just want to do it for more people and see yeah. see what impact we can make. Yeah, that's incredible. That's what it's all about, right? For sure. Right from the beginning, I see that in your story. Um, if you could go back to the beginning, mm. uh, when you first started out, what advice would you give to yourself? Oof. Um, I don't think I would give myself any advice, mm. purely because I think everything's worked out the way it was meant to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think even in my mistakes, I've learned so much that if someone had advised me around those things, it wouldn't have had the impact of of me actually going through those things and making those mistakes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for, for every single aspect. I believe it's helped shape me. Like a lot of people see failure as a negative thing. But for me, all the failures in my early years of this business have taught me more than all the success yeah um so yeah i've loved every every minute of it awesome it's been really great chatting to you where can we find out more about vitae yeah for sure so um you can find that about vitae on our website so it's vitaelondon.com v-i-t-a-e victor india tango alpha echo <laughs> <laughs> so vitaelondon.com um, and all across all social media the handle is vitae london as well so yeah check us out across there and find out more So that was Chris's conversation with William. What are some points that stood out to you guys? I loved where he talked about his business and how he, obviously he decided to go through, you know, setting up Vitae that will help people in countries that may not afford education. Um, and I love that, you know, even though he's, a lot of people have told him, you know, like, why why would you do that? You know, it's really going to make an impact on your profits. But actually, like, he says, you know, the reason why he has been able to grow his business so much because he is um, helping people and people are passionate about it. So like even for myself, like when I when I heard about it, I was like, this is so cool. Like I'm not, I'm not only buying a watch, which I want and need to tell the time, but I'm actually like making a difference and actually helping a child in need. So I think it's, it's amazing to hear that firsthand of like, you know, the reason I so many influential people are wearing my watch is because it's, it's something different it's not just your designer item kind of thing yeah and I like how that links in with other brands being influenced and understanding that the impact they have needs to go wider than just consumerism Mm. now and actually has to make an impact and some okay might be still doing it for commercial reasons because they realize that is what a lot of millennials and gen z are looking for but at the end of the day when it's benefiting people who need a bit of help and support whether that's through education or um, you know these clothing brands that do one for one and and Mm. give clothing um, to to people who need it these are all good things and as people like William and and others are creating brands that do that it will become more popular and more and more uh, good will be done through uh, through the brands that pop up and existing brands as well yeah sure and I think uh, like like you said you know the whole idea of Focus well. William's focus is on education, and I think that's really important because it's easy for us to kind of get into a mindset of just uh, all we need to do is just just give, and that's it, and then we can just walk away. But actually, it's that whole thing of you know you equip and build people so that they can pull themselves out of poverty as opposed to creating another like weird power dynamic where it's like you're only out of poverty because of what I'm doing for you uh, as opposed to actually saying no you have the skills you have everything you need yourself yeah absolutely 
Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in on the 3rd of Feb for our next episode, where we'll be talking to environmentalist, theologian, and social activist Ruth Valerio, who's recently released a new book called Saying Yes to Life. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at We Are Tear Fund. <laughs>